From South Carolina Public Radio, this is the South Carolina Lead. I'm your host, Gavin Jackson, and this episode was recorded on November 9th, 2023 from South Carolina Public Radio Studios here in Columbia. And before we get to anything else in this podcast, we are giving a hearty congratulations to Jamie Lovegrove and Allie Robertson on their wedding this weekend. It's going to be the best wedding. They're the best people. I know them. Biggest news of the week right there, folks. That's right. The former Post and Courier politics reporter was a regular, our most regular, regular on this podcast back in the beginning times, 2018 through 2020. And through those appearances, a sharp-eared listener liked what she heard. And, well, the rest is lead lore. It's in the scrolls now. Congratulations, you two. Now, this episode is a bit longer, but happy weekend. We have another 2024 pod on Tuesday, so we're squeezing it all in here. We got spinks on this pod, folks, but I guarantee you'll love it. I guarantee it. All right? Now, in this episode, we look at the third Republican presidential debate in Miami. We have a bit of a recap of the big moments, as well as insight and analysis from friend of the pod, Meg Kennard, Associated Press National Politics reporter, and Alex Stroman, a Republican strategist and former director of the South Carolina Republican Party. I also have a rundown of the big local election wins, and we decipher what the actions in Ohio, Kentucky, and Virginia during this off-year election could mean for November 2024. All that being said, we still need to hear from you. We heard from a lot of other people. We need to hear from you. Y-O-U, 803-563-7169. Not me, not Hermione, you. Okay, folks, so give us a shout. We have fallen back. Maybe you've caught up on your time. Maybe you've caught up on your sleep. I want to hear about what's going on in your life. It's like Delilah. Give us relationship advice, life advice. I'm not, I'm like, I can't do that, but I can give legal advice in international waters. 803-563-7169. More on that in the wind down. The heat was on during the Republican presidential debate in Miami. Knives were out between Florida Governor Ron DeSantis and former Governor Nikki Haley as they continue to battle for the distant second spot behind frontrunner former President Donald Trump, who once again skipped the debate. Biotech entrepreneur Vivek Ramaswamy, who promised to be unhinged during the debate, made good on his word, though it likely didn't work in his favor. Senator Tim Scott held his own and got the most speaking time in, though not many may remember what he said, but rather who he was with after the debate. His girlfriend, Mindy. And former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie... Oh, how you doing? ...remained the most poignant critic of Trump, while at times sounding the most pragmatic. Now, before we get to some analysis, let's walk through some of the big moments. The first hour of this debate was focused on foreign policy, Besides the opening question about what makes you different than former President Donald Trump, who once again opted for counter-programming rather than being on the stage. Obviously, the war with Israel and Hamas was a huge focus, and I want to play for you some of the responses of DeSantis, Haley, Ramaswamy, and Scott on how they would advise Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. I would be telling Bibi, finish the job once and for all with these butchers, Hamas. They're terrorists. 
They're massacring innocent people. They would wipe every Jew off the globe if they could. He cannot live with that threat right by his country, that Hamas should release every hostage and they should unconditionally surrender. I'm sick of hearing the media, I'm sick of hearing other people blame Israel just for defending itself. We will stand with Israel in word and in deed, in public and in private. And I can tell you, as governor, I actually did something about it. Biden's neglect has been atrocious. Uh, we had Floridians that were over there after the attack. He left them stranded. They couldn't get flights out. So I scrambled resources in Florida. I sent planes over to Israel, and I brought back over 700 people to safety. There could have been more hostages. The first thing I said to him when it happened was I said, finish them finish them. And the reason is I worked on this every day when I was at the United Nations. And we have to remember that they have to, one, eliminate Hamas, two, support Israel with whatever they need, whenever they need it, and three, make sure we bring our hostages home. We need to be very clear-eyed to know there would be no Hamas without Iran. There would be no Hezbollah without Iran. There would not be the Houthis without Iran. And there wouldn't be the Iranian militias in Syria and Iraq that are trying to hear, hit our military men and women if it hadn't been for Iran. And who is funding Iran right now? China is buying oil from Iran. Russia is getting drones and missiles from Iran. And there is an unholy alliance. I would tell President Biden with great clarity if you want to stop the 40-plus attacks on military personnel in the Middle East, you have to strike in Iran. If you want to make a difference, you cannot just continue to have strikes in Syria on warehouses. You actually have to cut off the head of the snake, and the head of the snake is Iran and not simply their proxies. In order for us to have a powerful response from America, we have to be in a position of strength. I want to be careful to avoid making the mistakes from the neocon establishment of the past. Corrupt politicians in both parties spent trillions, killed millions, made billions for themselves in places like Iraq and Afghanistan, fighting wars that sent thousands of our sons and daughters, people my age, to die in wars that did not advance anyone's interests, adding $7 trillion to our national debt. And Joe Biden sold off our foreign policy Joe Biden's son, Hunter Biden, got a $5 million bribe from Ukraine. That's why we're sending $200 billion back to that same country. The fact of the matter is the Republican Party is not that much better. You have the likes of Nikki Haley, who stepped down from her time at the UN. Bankrupt or in debt was her family. Then she becomes a military contractor. She joins the board of Boeing and otherwise, and is now a multimillionaire. So I think that that's wrong when Republicans do it or Democrats do it. That's the choice we face. Do you want a leader from a different generation who's going to put this country first, or do you want Dick Cheney in three-inch heels? All right, Mr. In which case, we've got two of them on stage tonight. Ramaswamy was spitting fire right out of the gate, including attacking Meet the Press moderator Kristen Welker while responding to the first question. However, this debate was much more substantive and civil since the moderators actually maintain control. But here was Haley's response back to Vivek. Yes, I'd first like to say they're five-inch heels, and I don't wear them unless you can run in them. Um, <laughs> The second thing that I will say is I wear heels. They're not for a fashion statement. They're for ammunition. The two got into it again over Ukraine funding as well, with Vivek all but saying he'd let Ukraine fall to Putin. It has celebrated a Nazi in its ranks, the comedian in cargo pants, a man called Zelensky, doing it in their own ranks. That is not democratic. More facts for you that you won't hear from the mainstream in either party or the mainstream media. 
the regions of Ukraine that are occupied by Russia right now in the Donbas, Luhansk, Donetsk. These are Russian-speaking regions that have not even been part of Ukraine since 2014, that other people probably couldn't name those provinces for you. Those are the hard facts. And so to frame this as some kind of battle between good versus evil, don't buy it. And I'd like the likes of the, the sharpest of the war hawks on Ukraine, Nikki Haley, to have some accountability and answer. Do you want to use U.S. taxpayer money to fund the banning of Christians? That is actually what's happening. I am telling you, Putin and President Xi are salivating at the thought that someone like that could become president. They would love to the see The fact that. of the matter is she doesn't answer so this the is what I will tell you. We're is, driving Russia all, into China's hands because of you these foolish policies. You had your time to talk. The ambassador has the floor. Ambassador, Thank you. Please. The first thing I'll tell you is we all remember what that thug did when he invaded Ukraine. We all know that half a million people have died because of Putin. And here is a freedom-loving, pro-American country that is fighting for its survival and its democracy. No, I don't think we should give them cash. I think we should give them the equipment and the ammunition to win. And I'll tell you, if Biden had done it when they first asked for it, this war would be over. When you look at Ukraine, don't think for a second, now everybody wants to move away from Ukraine, they'll want to move away from Israel a year from now. America can never be so arrogant to think we don't need friends. After 9-11, we needed a lot of friends. Now is the time to get partnerships. This unholy alliance between Russia, Ukraine, and China is real. Now, Haley misspoke there, but listen to Christie who comes in and remedies that while giving support to Haley. One of the few moments between the two that I was kind of picking up on makes you wonder what the future is for that duo. Here's Christie. Kirsten, let's remember the last time that we turned our back on a shooting war in Europe. It bought us just a couple of years. And then 500,000 Americans were killed in Europe to defeat Hitler. This is not a choice. This is the price we pay for being the leaders of the free world. And the fact is, this alliance is not just with Russia and China. Governor Haley knows this. Iran is in the middle of this as well, and so is North Korea. And they are all working to support Russia right now. And the reason they're doing it is because dictators work together. People who believe in democracy work together. Haley then baited DeSantis on a China question here. And while he went in for it, she wasn't able to rebut him until much later because the moderators were again trying to clamp down on too much debate, (laughs) I guess. But it came back around. Take a listen. We will go and end all formal trade relations with China until they stop murdering Americans from fentanyl, something Ron has yet to say that he's going to do. And then we modernize our military. When we strengthen our military, when we modernize it with the focus of cyber, artificial intelligence, and space, when we make sure that we have the backs of our friends, whether it's in Israel, whether it's in Ukraine, and we should be arming Taiwan. Make sure they have the equipment they need. I think the future of freedom is going to be determined in the Indo-Pacific. We have a strategy not with mil- not just military, but decoupling from the economy and fighting them here at home with their cultural. You know, Ambassador Haley said somehow I wasn't doing. She welcomed them into South Carolina, gave them land near a military base, wrote the Chinese ambassador a love letter saying what a great friend they were. That was like their number one way to, de- to do economic development. In Florida, I banned China from buying land in this state, and we kicked out... No, I'm going to speak to the fact that two people hit me and you didn't let me respond. So let's first talk about the fact that they want to talk about the Chinese land 
from 10 years ago. Yes, I brought a fiberglass company 10 years ago to South Carolina, but Ron, you are the chair of your economic development agency that as of last week said Florida is the ideal place for Chinese businesses. Not only that, you have a company that is manufacturer of Chinese military planes. You have it, they are expanding two training sites at two of your airports now, one which is 12 miles away from a naval base. Then you have another company that's expanding and they were just invaded by the Department of Homeland Security. So mine was 10 years ago. You gave Yours them was stuff. Six I didn't ago. give them anything. What's your story? And I abolished that agency that she's talking about. No, Enterprise he, Florida, we abolished it. And of course, we banned China from buying the land. the website Not last exactly week. a Go great check. recruiting pitch if you're love. banning them from purchasing and then just after an hour into the debate we got another Haley and Ramaswamy tussle this time with a little bit of a Miami twist a la Will Smith and Chris Rock when it came to talking about banning TikTok well I, I, I want to laugh at why Nikki Haley didn't answer your question which is about looking at families in the eye in the last debate she made fun of me for actually joining TikTok while her own daughter was actually using the app for a long time. So you might want to take care of your family first. Leave my daughter out of your voice. The next generation of Americans are using it. And that's actually the point. You have her supporters crapping her up. That's fine. Here's the truth. The easy answer is actually to say that we're just going to ban one app. We got to go further. Oh, you do not want to mess with Rena Haley. Mama Bear was right there, folks. Now, when asked about what they can do on day one to help alleviate high prices in this economy, Scott said he would authorize the Keystone XL pipeline and make the country energy dominant, which will lower fuel prices. NBC Nightly News anchor Lester Holt pressed Scott on this, and this is what he added. Time is up, but let me just follow up. The sure. idea of pumping gas, of, of turning on pipelines, that doesn't put make gas cheaper that day. I'm talking about you become president. What can you do specifically to help people feel better about their situation or be better with their situation? Well, actually it does, to be honest with you. The way that the economy works is it works on the ability to anticipate excess supply versus the demand. When that happens, confidence drives our prices down because we know there's going to be a greater surplus. When you allow for those who have leases to actually start drilling, to start using those leases for for more energy excavation, you put our economy in the strongest position. And as a result of that, prices start going down. That is the kind of economy that as president of the United States, I would lead this nation to making sure that we first use the resources in our own country and not going outside of our country in order to achieve our objective. You know, Proverbs 22.7 reminds us that the borrower is slave to the lender. We have become an indentured servant too often to countries like China. By having an energy economy, we start allowing this nation to once Senator, again return. Senator, as thank a city you. Let me, let me ask the same question. An hour and 45 minutes into the debate, abortion finally came up. Surprising since it was such a huge driver of results in Ohio, Kentucky, and Virginia the night before. Haley maintained her stance on consensus, which is gaining notice in a Republican Party searching on how to handle the issue. And Senator Scott took up the push for a 15-week ban, something former Vice President Mike Pence, who recently dropped out, supported. This as Scott moves in to capture that Pence lane of evangelical Christian voters who make up some 60% of Iowa caucus goers. Remember, Scott's going all in on Iowa. 
And we even saw some sparks between Haley and Scott again. Ambassador Haley, your name was invoked. Would you support a 15-week federal limit? I would support anything that would pass because that's what would save more babies and support more moms. But do you have to be honest with the American people? And I appreciate that Tim keeps calling me out for this. But Tim, there was a bill last year. Lindsey Graham sponsored it. You didn't even co-sponsor the bill. And then when you first were interviewed on this, when you ran, you wouldn't even say you were for 15 weeks. What I am saying to the American people is, let's see what we can agree on. Let's bring people together and decide what we can agree on. I will sign anything where we can get 60 Senate votes, but don't make the American people think that you're going to push something on them when we don't even have the votes in the Senate. It's important that we're honest about that. Now for some insight and analysis on this, I spoke with Meg Kennard of the Associated Press, friend of the pod, and Alex Stroman of Republican Strategist and former SCGOP executive director on This Week in South Carolina. That's my other show, which my mother gave me. Yeah, didn't know that. Here's Meg. I think first off, what we saw in this third GOP debate is the fact that the candidates on stage all had more time to talk. You know, that's always one of the breakdowns that we see the day after a debate, who spoke the most, who spoke the least, who had the fewest questions. But really, with only five candidates on stage, there was more of an opportunity for all of them to have more speaking time. I think until it got to the second hour anyway, we also saw a lot more individual answers, kind of more in depth on each of the issues that came up than we've seen in some of the other sort of, you know, off the bat brawly debates that have happened um, in times past. Second hour, a little different, a lot more spice there on the debate stage. But certainly this time, at least for the first hour, there was more of a, okay, here's the question, here's to me. Whether the candidates gave a direct answer to that question is still kind of up for debate. Not a lot of that, maybe, but certainly more of an opportunity for each of them to put their ideas out there and really kind of get to the end of that time allotment for the answer as opposed to someone else, you know, cutting in to interject, just trying to have any speaking time at all. Yeah, we had a few less people on stage there too that freed up a lot of time like you're saying Meg. Alex I want you to piggyback on that question and just tell me uh, your initial impressions and takeaways from this debate. You've been to the debate in Milwaukee so you know what it's like in the arena. Tell us uh, what you saw play out there. One thing I think that is a lot different in being in person in a debate uh, where they're watching it on television is that on TV, it's a lot more boring. Uh, but I think that last night's debate was one thing that boring was a, was a good thing uh, because NBC put on an incredible debate. You know, kudos to the moderators, kudos to the set designer. The entire look and feel of this debate was an adult conversation about very serious issues uh, that our country is facing. And as a comms guy, I know that uh, we not, we maybe don't always answer reporters' questions in the way that uh, as direct as, as they can be, Meg, but uh, as a Republican and as a comms guy who thinks that uh, the important issues and the way that a candidate is, is careful about the way that they say issues on a national stage, um, I think all the candidates did pretty well last night. Uh, I think you kind of have Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis are clearly the two favorites. Clearly, we should hear more from both of those uh, candidates on how they want to uh, change uh, the Republican Party, how they want to move forward past Trumpism. Uh, and then you have three other candidates uh, who I think all had moments uh, and they shine pretty well. Um, but at the end of the day, I think that this is a t- two person race uh, for second place between Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis. Uh, where Alex was talking about DeSantis and Haley being kind of those uh, two front runners, really distancing themselves from the others on stage. Uh, that first hour of the debate was really centered around foreign policy. Uh, you know, former Governor Haley said that the world is on fire. We're talking about the wars in Europe and the Middle East, where we're seeing U.S. soldiers attacked as well. And then, of course, everyone's watching China too. So it seems like this debate really gave her a chance to flex her foreign policy creds. 
It was certainly anticipated that we would see a lot of that in this debate with foreign policy being something that's in Nikki Haley's wheelhouse. Clearly, it's something she's talked about a lot. She talks about her experience at the U.N. and also going back to her time as governor, you know, economic development trips and other relations that she built with other countries purportedly to benefit South Carolinians here at home. So we certainly anticipated that. What we also anticipated and we did see some of was this brewing kind of back and forth between Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley when it comes to a lot of those foreign policy issues, primarily China, which is something the two of them have feuded over in speeches and in ads by themselves and also the super PAC supporting their campaigns. You know, such and such is more supportive of China or as as Ron DeSantis said of Nikki Haley, welcome China into South Carolina. He went after her directly on those points as well during the debate. So that's not necessarily something related to her overall foreign policy experience. But since she is arguing that she is the candidate most qualified in that realm now competing for the GOP nomination, certainly it was something that DeSantis and other opponents on the stage were ready to come after her on. So, you know, voters are obviously still making a lot of decisions and weighing their options. But for the voters that all of us have spoken to, you know, for those who say that foreign policy really is something they want to hear more from, um, from these candidates, last night was a good opportunity for Nikki Haley and some others to really showcase that ability to say, look, I've met with these leaders. I've been to these countries. I've worked on these issues that all of you say you really care about. So it was a good chance for her. And, um, you know, we'll see how it continues to play out. But last night she was able to showcase some of that experience. And Alex, in that vein, you know, like Meg was saying, we did see her and DeSantis really get into it, especially on these big issues. But they had a lot of commonality when it came to topics like Israel, where they both said we need to, they need to finish the job when it comes to Hamas. Uh, very forceful, very clear policy and goal-oriented stances there. Uh, but do voters really care about foreign policy issues? It seems like uh, because of these foreign wars now, it's, it's kind of front and center up there with the economy and border security. How do you think this is going to play out on the campaign trail? Yeah, I think that Nikki Haley is, is made for this moment. Uh, yeah, I think all of us who have known her and watched her for years in South Carolina, uh, she really takes advantage of whenever moments come to her, uh, whether it's on a debate stage or just the, the timing uh, and the rhythm of, of elections and campaigning. And uh, for her, I think this is exactly uh, what she wants to be talking about. She wants to be that adult in the room, that person who has uh, sat at the table uh, with the leaders of China and Russia and, uh, and our allies in the UK and France and, and really delved into a whole host of issues. I mean, she she understands uh, the conflicts that are happening in the war. Uh, she understands the regions. She understands uh, what it's like to be in the room. She was a member of the, uh, the former president's cabinet, uh, one of the few times a cabinet official, the UN, uh, UN ambassador has been a cabinet level official in a Republican administration. And so she, she gets these issues. And I think that for her, uh, she really shined. Uh, last night, she obviously was clear-eyed about the threats that we face uh, as, as Americans, uh, what our allies face. And look, She's not just uh, towing the party line. Uh, the Republican Party is united behind Israel, and I'm happy to see that. Uh, but the Republican Party has real uh, challenges when it comes to supporting our ally Ukraine. Uh, and I'm on the side of Nikki Haley. I think we absolutely must support Ukraine. Uh, I think she makes a very strong case to Republican voters that uh, being for Ukraine means being against China and being against Russia and being against Iran. Uh, and so I think that she She's done a very good job at, at, at articulating that message, and she's standing up for something that, I mean, not all Republicans really support, uh, but it's good to see that on the stage. And I think uh, with the exception of Vivek Ramaswamy with uh, his comments comparing uh, the president of Ukraine to a uh, to a Nazi, uh, which was just absolutely embarrassing, um, it's good to see at least four adults in the room all standing uh, for strength and American power around the world. 
And Meg, but I want to ask you, continue with uh, what we saw happen out across the country on Tuesday, uh, again, off election year. But there were some big indicators that folks are reading heavily into. What do we see play out in these states across the nation on Tuesday? Democrats are feeling pretty good about the results from the off-year elections this past week. We saw a couple of wins in terms of Andy Bashir, the Democratic governor in Kentucky, winning a second term. Abortion played a huge role in that race, as it did in many other contests on which the Democratic side of things would count themselves victorious. Um, abortion rights issues were big in Bashir's race, and he aimed to portray his GOP opponent, Attorney General Daniel Cameron, as an extremist on that issue. In Ohio, voters took on abortion directly, voting to enshrine the right to abortion into their state's constitution. Um, in Pennsylvania, a justice was elected to their state Supreme Court, who is avowedly pro-abortion rights and is something that was mentioned in his own campaign. Obviously, they elect judges in a different way in Pennsylvania than we do here in South Carolina. Um, but, you know, those are just a couple of examples. But overall, Democrats are looking at those results and seeing that as good for their ability to make these arguments on the important issue of abortion um, in different ways across the country, particularly after the overturning of the Roe versus Wade decision, kick that ability back to the states. And as we see this issue continue to come up in different states with these kinds of results, Democrats are arguing that bodes well for their ability to continue doing that into next year's elections and potentially into the big election for president next year. There are other states, Arizona among them, also potentially Nevada and Florida, that where voters are going to be taking up the issue of abortion directly in different ways on their own ballots in coming elections. So that's just one issue, but it is a big one that's playing a role in a lot of these elections that we saw this week. And it's also obviously an undercurrent in the presidential election. So still a big thing on the minds of voters. And, you know, it's unknown exactly what, if anything, um, the results of the 2023 elections, what impact they'll have on 2024. Joe Biden, Donald Trump, none of the others vying to win the GOP nomination were on ballots this last election cycle. So, you know, we can't really lay any of this directly on them. Um, but certainly Democrats feel good about the results they got and are hoping that they'll get similar results next year. Now, that was a lot of national there. We know uh, it's a big, important race we're one year away from. But there were local elections across the state on Tuesday. And remember, we had that big podcast talking about local elections. So let's look at some of the biggest races and the results. Charleston Democratic State Representative Dion Tedder is now Senator-elect Dion Tedder after winning the Senate District 42 special election to replace Senator Marlon Kimson. Brown liquor. Data. Tedder easily beat Republican Rosa Kay in the heavily Democratic district. In Charleston, Mayor John Tecklenburg heads into a runoff with former state representative William Cogswell. Tecklenburg secured 32% of the vote, with Cogswell at 36%. Since no one made it over 50% plus one, a runoff is scheduled for November 21st, with early voting starting November 15th for all eligible voters. Now, 30% of that vote was split among four other candidates in the race, with Clay Middleton receiving 18%. Tecklenburg has said if he wins this third term, it will be his last. Also in the Low Country in North Charleston, former police chief Reggie Burgess handedly beat nine other candidates to become mayor. I guess that's what a race looks like when it's the first open race since 1994. 94, good year. That's when I first got into the biz. That's right. We, uh, that's when I knew I'd wanted to have a podcast. Let's get back to my podcast here. Now, in the Midlands, we saw Lexington Town Councilwoman Hazel Livingston, who has been on council for some 25 years, be elected mayor, Lexington's first female mayor. 
and West Columbia Mayor Tim Miles was elected to his second term. Now to the upstate and hashtag yeah, that Greenville, where Mayor Knox White was reelected to his eighth and final term. There were seven mayoral seats up for election in York County, and out of those, Fort Mill was the largest municipality, and the voters there reelected Mayor Gin Savage over challenger Ryan Helms. So congratulations to all the candidates and the voters. This is what democracy looks like. Welcome to the wind down section, our little break from the news. We're glad you're here. This is our time, our time, our chance to talk, talk down about things. Down that, here, we do record in the sewer. I didn't introduce you. Sorry. Uh, take it from the top, Jesus. please. Say, go ahead. Go ahead. No, it's too late. That's A.T. Shire, folks, the Leeds producer. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Slash my stepbrother. <laughs> That's how he's on this podcast. Too. Now, I know it's TGIF, thank Grace, Intern Friday. Yes, and I know that most people listened to that first 20-some-odd minutes to get to <laughs> this, moment. this moment. But we for have Gen some Z news. bad news. It's with a heavy heart that I have to say that Grace is not here today. Oh. We're taping this on Friday because we're taping early because Friday we're is Veterans Day. We're taping on Thursday. Taping on Thursday. We're taping early because Friday is Veterans Day. That's why I'm here, folks. She couldn't <laughs> tape early because she's studying up for the LSAT. That, Our little Grace is going for the LSAT. That is an acceptable excuse. Yes, that's one of three that we give. If, yeah, with our interns, if you don't show up with a note, you are going to be in trouble. From your proctor? From a proctor. From a from proctor a, and gamble. A proctor or a doctor. Okay, that's what proctor, we say. Doctor. We need a proctor or a doctor, and it needs to be signed by a parent. Or, okay? or a ship's captain. Yes. I say that because, um, you know, I, I never took the LSAT, but I still became a maritime lawyer. Yes. Gavin, he he did many, many <laughs> online courses that he paid for. It's became pirate a maritime law. law. You don't need a law degree to be a maritime lawyer. I keep in, telling you this. In the lane of maritime <laughs> in law the here. In the lane. In the shipping lane. So, yes. In, yes. <laughs> so, in the shipping lane of maritime law. Thank you. Gavin, Grace isn't here to pick an article, a news story that she loved. Mm-hmm. And so you found one. Yeah, one kind of, you could say, came to me. Yes. I was listening to the BBC. BBC. World News Podcast, which yes. I, again, can't recommend enough, guys. It's part of my morning routine. Um, they have their little 30 minutes. And, and they do, like, the hard news, and then there's, like, these features. I'm like, oh, I don't want to hear the features. But sometimes I just listen. Sometimes you listen to the features. <laughs> It's sort of like listening to this right now. Sort of. We have way more hard news than the BBC. BBC. Uh, the BBC. BBC. <laughs> but I heard about this 300-year-old shipwreck off the Colombian coast mm. that has mm-hmm. 200 tons <laughs> of gold, silver, and emeralds oh. that were thought to be on board the legendary Spanish flagship, the San Jose, oh. which sunk during a skirmish with the British. <clears throat> BBC. Um, so, <laughs> I mean, we're talking about $20 billion here of sunken treasure, AT. Can you go through some of what is in the treasure there? You were you were giving me a breakdown right before. Ga- galleons. Galleons. We're talking about like talking gold, emeralds, silver floating around down there. Floating. All gold no, floats. All- <laughs> gold floats. I want you to take that away from this spot. <laughs> now, I will say it floated down 3,100 feet in the mm, water there yeah. off the Colombian coast off near Cartagena. Cartagena. Um, you know it was. 
well. You know it well. I do. It's just like Columbia, South Carolina. It's a really a second home for you. Now, now this is, well, it's been a lot of consulting work because yeah. of the maritime law. There's yes. a lot that's going into this hmm. because um, in 2015, the Colombian government announced that a team of Navy divers had discovered this ship. Hmm. Um, but there's some other things that are at play here, too, because the US, a U.S. company is also laying some claim to this. Mm. The Spanish are also claiming it because they're like, that's all of our money from back in the day, <laughs> all of our loot. It came from them. Well, they were going to use that money. I kept reading I've read on the Daily Mail, which I really don't trust anymore, but sometimes for the— Sometimes for maritime law, for you, do some, you do some things you don't—you're not proud of. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> um, that loot was on its way to Spain mm-hmm. to help finance the war against the British. Oh, BBC. <laughs> which— um, you know, I believe this was during Queen Anne's reign because I know all the monarchs. You know yeah, this about Gav- me. Every night before Bad <laughs> Gavin runs through him, he I calls me look- <laughs> and I have to listen to him. And I go, that's right. I didn't look that part up because I just inherently knew yeah, that. Yeah, Anne. Uh, Queen Anne was super interesting, too. Apparently, um, you have gone down a full rabbit hole, Gavin. Y- yeah, I, I just want to because there was, there was all don't, this don't war go- going Don't on. Google QAnon, please. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't do it. Um, yeah, because she had... Wars with France and Spain in the War of the Spanish Succession, which is what was going on between 1701 and 1714, of course. Naturally, Everyone naturally, knows that. Naturally, naturally. Um, but she it's super, they're always kind of fascinating. Woman a before lot of, her time. Yeah, a lot going on there. I say all this to say I'm going to be pretty busy in yes. the next couple of years because the Colombian government's really trying to get that loot off the seafloor. Mm. But how do you lift all that, you know, what's it? 200 tons yeah, of all this up through water. And then everyone wants a piece of it. So you're going to be down there. You're going to be mediating. The, yeah. <laughs> you're going to have them all drive out just I over the line. Speak, I only speak English. I can't understand what everyone's talking about here. <laughs> but I will say that uh, it is a sad story, too, because the way that ship did sink is that the powder kegs blew up in oh. there. And it took down 600 sailors on board. Classic so this was, story. This was a huge ship with a lot going for it. Like we said, the flagship for Spain with all their money on board. <laughs> And they're like, you know, I guess it's good that the British didn't get it at the time because what they didn't need any more. They got meat. enough. I think they have stuff. enough. Yeah. The Queen was probably like, that sounds you know, really very good. accurate to what Queen Queen Anne said. This like. reminds me though, Gavin, you got to get those powder kegs out of your car. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! I've yeah. been driving around with them since he's, like August. They're just rumbling around <laughs> and back, and he's always like, oh, they're gonna be fine. But he's he's really got to get them out after hearing this. <laughs> Thank you for reminding me. <laughs> yes. I completely forgot. Oh, well, anyway, Gavin, with that in mind, let's let's go ahead and yeah, get I these gotta, credits I gotta so we can go get that stuff out of your car. I can just dump that in the storm drain, right? Well, I think we probably put it in producer Sean's office for a little while. I don't know. He's probably not going to mind. He's real cool about that kind of stuff. Anyway, have a good weekend, everybody. Yes, thank you, folks. Give us some history. Give us your favorite British monarch. Uh, let us know what you think, what you would do with this buried sunken treasure. Anything else you want to talk about, let us know, 803-563-7169. Uh, we appreciate you guys listening to the pod. And you can always leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or a voicemail, like I said, 803-563-7169. And you can stay up to date with the latest news on SETV.org and SouthCarolinaPublicRadio.org. And don't forget to support your local newspapers. For the South Carolina lead, I'm Gavin Jackson. Be well, South Carolina. Oh, yeah, I'm doing all the podcasts with a hat on from now on. That's fine. Because it makes me even more relatable. That's fine. With my ring light.